What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room, the official podcast of AOTG.com. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell, and this episode, we're going to be talking to Ivan Victor. Now, we're going to be talking about 68 Whiskey, which is a cross between MASH and Catch-22, and it deals with medics during wartime and the dark humor that sort of comes from that. Now, one thing I have to give you a warning about, the audio is going to sound very different, we weren't able to use the system that we normally use, uh, and that was just based on the people who organized the interview with us. We couldn't contact them through our traditional means, which is Skype. With all that said, here's my interview with Ivan. So can you tell me how you got involved with 68 Whiskey? I got involved with 68 Whiskey because I'd worked on Kidding, and Roberto Benedict, who's the showrunner, of 68 Whiskey was one of the executive producers mm-hmm. on Kidding. So we'd worked together on that show and when we were in, in the midst of it, we were, I was chatting to him about what else he was working on and he told me about this idea. He was writing this pilot script for Imagine and we'd had such a great time on Kidding that when the show was picked up, he got in touch with me. I was going to ask because you, you've worked on a lot of comedy projects ranging from you know Atlanta to Kidding to Parks and Rec. So I'm wondering how this project differed for you in terms of comedy, because it is a lot darker in its humor. There's a real balance in the show, and it's one of the things that all three editors on the show, there's Joel Goodman and Scott Wallace and myself, working with Roberto, it took a, a, a while, not a ton, because we didn't have a ton of time, to find the balance between servicing the drama and servicing the comedy. Something like Parks and Rec had emotional stories with it, Mm-hmm. And the actors were all fantastic and could play the reality of the emotions their characters were going through, but it was a, a much broader piece. And you mentioned Atlanta, where there were jokes in it, but they weren't delivered as jokes. In that show, because of the tone th- through the script and the performances, what in Friends would be a super funny line that would have everybody laughing, it was funny, but not delivered in that way. Mm-hmm. And so back to Six Dick Whiskey, it was a case of how many jokes were written in this scene and how many of those do we need? You know, and what jokes really work in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. But if you have too heavy a weight of, if there are five quips to row back in a little sequence, you maybe only need two or three of them to work mm-hmm. because that then allows the drama to play without it being undercut by someone being too flippant. In terms of dealing with the, or I guess the best way to put it is earning the heavy moments or earning the sad moments, how did you approach cutting scenes? Because I feel like in the first episode or in the second episode, they sort of start off heavy, but you have to earn that from the audience because we have to care about these characters. But, you know, I think about the first episode and, you know, someone dies within the first, you know, couple of minutes in the helicopter ride back. So how do you go about making sure that the audience is prepared for that and you've earned the heavy moment? And the pilot came about because there's a real switch, obviously. You know, it begins with the scene with Dirk and Roback in the supply hut. And then we have the boxing match with Roback and Sasquatch. And peppered through those are some lighter moments. And when they get the call to scramble and go in the Black Hawk, there's a change in the we change from quicker cuts and the more action-y cuts that we had in the boxing match to these wide sweeping shots of the Black Hawk and just having moments where we settle into what their actual job is. And music played a part too because we had 
working with Tyler Bates, when we, in the pilot, when we first get into the helicopter, the music does take a, a, a turn in what it's doing and how it functions. How did you work with the music? Like, what was your approach and the showrunner's approach to music? Uh, was it written into the script beforehand, or were you allowed, given sort of free range, to discover it? Um, we didn't free range to discover it, and Tyler came on quite early in the process, which was very useful, and a lot of the music that he had kind of provided for his quote-unquote audition were, were cues that we ended up building upon. There was a movie he did called Killer Joe that had very cool uh, melodica sounds and Tyler's great guitar playing, which had a real kind of Americana feel to it. And then we added Middle Eastern tones and Middle Eastern sounding instruments on top, which also plays with the fact that we're fundamentally, even though it's a multinational base, we're you know, Americans in the Middle East. We use music a lot from the editor's assembly through to, we're not particularly telegraphing what the emotion is supposed to be. It's much more of a, a pace and a mood deal for us in the show. Speaking to what you're saying about the change in, in tone when they get to Blackhawk, having that, that change in the instrumentation and the scale tones that we were using, I think really helped that transition. Yeah, well, because I was so surprised at how early it was and yet how it still it like held up. And it also helped set up, uh, and I'm sorry, if I can't remember the character's name, but her struggle with that issue of losing someone in the helicopter. Right, that's Alvarez. Yeah. Yes, Alvarez, which was so early, and I was like, but I was surprised at how it held up. That's why I was wondering how you tackled that that moment. That moment was, was one, one, and this is this happens often, is when a scene is shot really well, as all of these scenes have been. For example, in the helicopter, there's an early cut where we're checking in with everybody. We're checking in with what's Davis doing, what's Roback doing, what's the, the translator doing. And as we were going through the cuts and the notes process, we realized that it was less important to be checking in with how everybody else was and to make that moment at a certain point more about Alvarez rather than other people clocking what she's going through. Mm-hmm. And it also functioned a little bit as, as her moment of introduction. So certainly honing in on that moment, you feel what she's going through much more by keeping the camera on her mm-hmm. and making it about her story as opposed to everybody else noticing. And obviously at the end, both Davis and Roback are sympathetic and comforting to her, but that's after the fact. It's a relatively large cast. Do you find you have to do that kind of balancing act throughout the series? Like the goat in the second episode and the relationship with the young private, you know, where he meets the goat and that sort of becomes his story. Um, Do you find you have to do that kind of balancing act where you you have to determine what the focus is going to be and what the other's relationships are going to be in terms of the, you know, if we're focusing on the goat, kid we're just utilizing their others for reaction that type of thing yeah it's i mean because everybody's everybody's stories of of our main gang are intertwined it is important to know how people are reacting to those important moments and the writers were still breaking and writing stories as we went through roberto benedict the showrunner had a very good sense of the overall arc so there might have been moments where in the individual episode it felt as if perhaps the scene could end soon, there was something that was very important for an episode or two or three down the line to keep alive. So what would you say was the scene you're most proud of or gave you the most challenge in the series? A couple of moments to think on that. <laughs> no problem. They all kind of, at a certain point, they all blend. There's a, there's a sequence in the finale, which I probably shouldn't talk about. Well, I could talk about it. Anyway, there's a, there's, a, there's a big action sequence in the finale where Roback and Alvarez are together with another character and Davis and Petra 
Australia together and Grace Durkin is back at the base and there's a lot of intercutting between these three little moments and everybody connecting in different ways and that was a it was a big challenge because there were three cameras and there's a, a ton of footage but it was I haven't quite finished it yet but it's been lovely to own that and realise you can move this section to there and you can pop a line another place but I, probably that scene Was there something challenging in that scene that, that uh, made you so proud of it? I think it's just a the tonnage of footage, there was a, a lot of footage there and just a lot of moving parts. You, you know, little elements of scenes that can be moved. If you move section C to where section A was and section A to where section D was, you know, there was, there, there was quite a lot of playing around of what's the actual flow of this thing. And it's always, it's always nice when you get to a point where it feels like you've found it. And I find that too in the, in the Titan process as you go from the editor's assembly to the director's cut and the producer cut. Mm-hmm. You get to a point where you've taken air out or you've added air and the show feels like the show. It feels recognizable as not a work in progress. So I think that that little sequence is, was pretty important in terms of closing out season one. So getting to the point where we are, at least now, it was very satisfying. How much was there discussion in the cutting room about the show MASH? Because I feel like these two are some, like the show and MASH have some elements uh, that obviously relate to them, but they're obviously drastically different. I didn't ever have that conversation. Obviously, we're, we're all aware it MASH kind of meets Catch-22. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was without thinking. The, without the threat of madness, you know, it, it's a scheming money-making aspect of mm-hmm. it. But we, it, you know, it's not like we watched old episodes to try and, you know, make it hit or not hit in yeah. that way. One of the biggest things that we, that we found going through was discovering the balance and something you spoke to earlier on between the dramatic moments and the comedic moments and how to be respectful to both without mm-hmm. undercutting or undermining them. When you're working with the tone of the, the dark humor, do you did you have to like pull anything back or were you just sort of told to go full in? Uh, how do you tackle something like that? Because it could get quite dark. In, in terms of the process, uh, I mean, this, this is pretty nebulous thing to say but you, you go with what feels right at the time but to me it always feels right to to push as far as you can in the mm-hmm. early cuts and then you can dial back and then there's a moment perhaps where things feel a little less intense than they need to be and you always have that those versions to return to and I, I think as well back to the the mash comparison leaning on what actually happens medically we don't lean too heavily on that what tends to happen is because these are the these are the guys and girls who go and bring people back it's a case of they hand them off to the or we're not particularly in the or where obviously mash was much more they were the surgeons yeah, yeah. you know these are the you know if mash had done a spin-off um i guess dealing with uh, the different ways in which people deal with death. Like one of the things I noticed in the actors' performances was how each of them sort of dealt with moments of death. And I'm wondering how did you uh, did you approach the edits of those scenes? Because everyone deals with death differently, and it seems like the show allows us to experience that through these characters. So I'm wondering how you approach the various scenes in which people are are passing. In the pilot. When Alvarez is dealing with her guilt at missing that wound, mm-hmm. the focus of the scene later on in the, the the medics lounge was about how she was being comforted by Roback and Davis, mm-hmm. and it was a 
requirement to show the closeness of these three characters and also to balance that how, because it was early on in the pilot, how Roback and Davis mm-hmm. acted together in that. So there was, it wasn't a, a particular tightrope, but there was certainly a, a focus on the two imperatives in that scene. And then uh, actually there's, there's, there was a death in four as well. And I know people who are, who are doctors and death is that that's part of their job. And I think that's one of the things in the writing and the performances that, that's called out is the deaths don't go unnoticed, but they don't have the weight that they would have with someone for whom death is a novelty. So I don't know if you, if you got through to the fourth episode, uh, there's a character that dies and Roback makes a promise to him. Part of it is to do with his character that he's, a, he's an honorable guy, but the, the death does weigh on him. Not that it's his fault, but the, the death weighs on him in terms of the promise he made to this dying soldier. Now, I have one last question that I'd like to ask everyone I interview, and that is, what would you say is your favorite guilty pleasure film to watch? Ooh. Um, does it mean it has to be a bad film? Or? <laughs> I, I always say it's, you know, it's a film you normally wouldn't watch, but if it was on TV on Sunday and you had nothing to do, you just watch it. Oh, God. I do like Shrek. Oh, yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Pretty cool. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much for letting me interview. My pleasure. So that was my interview with Ivan. I'd like to thank him for allowing me to interview him. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.